I want to take a moment to reiterate our welcome that we extend to everyone. Take a moment to um, once again proclaim the blessing that it is to worship here on this Lord's Day, to worship our God, to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is certainly a, a large crowd this morning. That is a, a blessing. That is most definitely a blessing for each and every one of us. What I'm going to talk about this morning is something that's actually been mentioned a lot this morning in our prayers, something that's been mentioned in the song that we just sang, um, discerning his will. Uh, our brother Bra Baker uh, prayed in his prayer and, and asked God for the confidence and the help for each and every one of you to audit the things that I'm going to say. He asked that we could rightly discern, we, we sang that um, line in our hymn that we just sang, we would discern the will of Jesus. And so the question that I'm going to pose today, two questions. First question, is it right? Okay. If our question is, is it right or is it wrong? Well, now we need to figure out a way to discern if it is right or is it wrong? So our question that we're going to answer today is how can I know what is right? And with that, we, uh, I, I went to cars. How can I know what is right for my truck? Well, I've got a Haynes manual that I can open up and it's all oil stained and I can go and say, well, the spark plugs here go here, I'm going to go uh, 1357. And then from spark plug wires, here's where it goes on the distributor. If I was going to guess at that, I'd get it wrong. But if I can have my Haynes manual, we're going to say that that is the authority, because they've taken the truck apart and they put the truck back together. That's our authority for how I can know what is right. Any action that we do in all areas of our life, we recognize the need for authority. We recognize this in the parent-child relationship. The authority in that being the parent teaching what the child should do. We recognize this in, in the law of the land. When we're driving on the road, we are not the authority on the road. We are using the road, and we recognize that there's laws and regulations that we have to follow. And there's those that would enforce that. When we're thinking of authorities, we can think of, um, we, we recognize the need for an authority in a, a legal matter. If I'm going to um, produce a document of a will, well, I'm not going to get a damage claims lawyer to do that. I'm going to go and get a person who is an authority in wills, something of the like. We desire, as, as human beings, an authority for something. When I was doing um, performance and, I, and I, I needed how to needed to know how to do something on my instrument or in a specific piece of music, well, I wouldn't go, I was in college at this point in time, I wouldn't go to a sixth grader who just is now learning how to play their instrument. They're not the authority on them. They're still learning. Oftentimes, I'd have the, have the privilege and the opportunity to go directly to the source, go to the person who wrote that music, say, what did you, what did you mean right here? How am I supposed to do this piece? They would be the authority. You don't watch five-minute craft videos. You don't watch life hack videos when you're dealing with how to 
rewire a house, how to do the plumbing. You don't watch five minute videos on that. You desire someone who is an authority. If experts and, and authorities are, we, we recognize the importance of that in matters of the flesh, how much more so is an authority in the scriptures? So today we're going to look at authority and how we can know what is right. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. What we're going to do this morning is work through how we know who is the authority. We have to establish that first. We need to know who to look for, who to look to. So we're going to establish the authority in that. And then we're going to look at ways that we can discern what they say. There's no pictures, at least not in, in mine. There's no pictures on what to do. There's pictures in my Haynes manual for my truck. I can see where things go. So we need to have a little bit of a, a structure of how to um, discern what is right and wrong. And we're not going to get into any kind of, um, I'm going to throw this word out, hermeneutics. We're not going to get into all of the uh, ins and outs and things like that. We're going to use basic logic, basic reason that we use every day. Because that's the way that we can discern the scriptures. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and specifically starting in verse 16. Peter states, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses for his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, or, or in this case, we're going to use the word Scripture, Scripture does not come from man. Man is not the authority in this. So we can automatically rule out going to man for authorities in our spiritual life. If we want to know what it takes, if we, if we are solution-oriented, if, if, our, if our problem is, I need to get to heaven, how do I do that? The authority that we look to has to be God. Prophecy does not come from man. Prophecy comes from God, as Peter stated here in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. We must look to God to determine if something is right. If that's our question, how do I know what is right? We have to look to God. And so what we're going to look at, we're going to begin to see this, this line of authority. We, we can say that God is the authority in spiritual matters. Well, why? If our question is, how do I spend eternity with God... Why don't we go back to the person who invented eternity in the first place? If I want to know what is right on my truck, I go to GM. I go to GMC. They invented my truck. If I want to know what is right for eternity, well, I go to God. Because God invented eternity. God is our authority in those kind of matters. So how can I know the action or thought that I want to engage in is right or wrong? We have to figure out who is the authority. And the first thing we want to know, noting that God invented eternity, 
Well, Christ has all authority now. Christ has all authority now. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. The first chapter of Ephesians, this is Paul writing to our brethren that were in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, we know that Christ has the words of eternal life. Christ has been given all authority. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you read the context of, it, uh, of this verse, you can see who those he's and him's are. You read the context starting in verse 15 going back, and you can read this as, And God put all things under Christ's feet, and gave Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We read that every authority has been given to Christ. He put all things under his feet. He has specific authority within the church as well. So when we would want to know, is this right? We go to Christ. Christ has authority in all things. I mean, Christ has authority in our homes. Christ has authority in our society. Christ has authority in the church. Christ has authority in marriage. Christ has authority in the workplace. Christ has authority in all things, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. We recognize that not all people submit to that authority, which is so unfortunate. That's part of our job, is to teach people who has the authority in this world. And we read that God gave all authority. We can recall in, um, I believe it's the book of John, uh, either 5, 6, or 7, Jesus is talking to disciples at the time, and he, many were leaving him. And uh, he says to his apostles, the twelve, he says, do you want to go also? Do you want to, you want to leave? And I believe it was Peter answered and says, where are we going to go? To whom will we go? To what authority will we go to now? You have the words of eternal life. Christ is now the one that tells us the mind of God. Christ is the one who tells us what God wants from us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And the, the book of Hebrews starts off this way, talking about the authority that Christ has. The first verse of Hebrews begins reading, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he is appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. If we want to know what God wants, we have to look to Jesus. We're not looking towards Moses. We're not looking towards Abraham. We're not looking towards David, Solomon, any of the judges, any of the prophets. We look towards Jesus. So if we want to know the words of Jesus, 
Uh, because contrary to what people will tell you, Jesus is not appearing today to people. The words of Jesus in literal words are not coming to people today. If you want to know the words of Jesus, well, you have to go to the New Testament. So we're following this line. So far we know that God has all authority. If we want to answer the questions of eternity, we go to God. Well, God has given that authority to Christ. Christ has given that to someone else. Let's read this. Turn with me to John, the 14th chapter. John, the 14th chapter, specifically verse uh, 25, 26. This is Jesus who has this authority who has these answers, states, these things I have spoken to you. And we can read that he is talking to his apostles. He's not talking to all of his disciples at this time. He is talking to his apostles, the twelve. He says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. John 16, just a couple chapters over, states something similar, starting in verse 13. Well, let's go back to verse 12. Jesus says, once again to his apostles, the twelve, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus, the holder of this authority that we're looking for, being the authority in spiritual matters, Jesus is giving a messenger now to his twelve. He's giving a messenger to carry on those words because Jesus is not talking to us today, literally. If we want to know what God wants from us, we listen to Christ. But if we want to know what Christ wants from us, we listen to his apostles via the Holy Spirit. Do you see that chain of command? It starts with God as the ultimate authority. Then God gave that authority to Christ. Christ said, I give to you more words via the Holy Spirit. And he said that to his apostles. Well, how do we know what they said? Well, they wrote things down. They wrote things down. So we've seen how Christ has the words of eternal life from the Father. Next, we're going to look at how the New Testament contains that word. The New Testament contains that word, and we can go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. This is back a little bit before what we opened with. Peter states this, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So, Peter is talking here, saying, I'm going to constantly remind you of the things that are right, the questions of eternity, as the authority has been, has been given from God to Christ through the Helper to the Apostles, Peter. But notice what he states in verse 15, that he was talking then about while he was living. He's going to constantly remind them while he's living. But he states that he's not going to be around forever. 
Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. How is that going to happen? Reason in your head, logically, how is that going to happen? How is Peter going to make certain that they can have a reminder? Well, he writes it down. I'm very bad at remembering things, and if I don't write it down, I'm not, well, even if I do write it down, sometimes I'm not going to remember it. But writing things down helps you remember. You can see the same thing in, in uh, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3 and verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, being diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So we see that Peter wrote down those words of eternal life. Peter then states that Paul wrote down these words of eternal life. And, and, and notice there's, there's an interesting point here, um, Specifically about the scriptures. In these times, when they thought of scriptures, they would think of um, what they would call the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the Psalms. They would think of what we call the Old Testament. Those are the scriptures. Those are the scriptures. Peter here states that what Peter is writing down and what Paul is writing down are on the same par as scriptures. They are scriptures. There's this chain of authority that we've seen, and we notice now that it is in the New Testament. We can go on at 1 John. I tried to go chronological with these so we wouldn't have to keep flipping back and forth. So 2 Peter, now we're in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. John is now writing, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That sounds to me a lot like I'm writing these things to you so you can know what is right. And we read that John wrote down other books as well. So now we can lump in Peter, Paul, and John into these New Testament writers that are writing how we can know what is right. Jude 3. Jude being just a short epistle. Only one chapter. Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude, they're writing the similar thing. I'm writing to you so that this can be on record, so that you can know what the Holy Spirit is saying through us. The Holy Spirit giving is, is helping these inspired men talk about things that are from Christ. And Christ is saying the things that are from God. And you can go back to 2 Peter where we first started. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. We do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. These are not their own ideas. When Peter's writing this, he's not saying that we're, he's, he, he is saying we are not following fables. We're not following things made up. We're not following children's stories. We're not following wives' tales. We are following things we have seen. And we are writing down things we have seen. 
So when we look for the authority in what we do, the authority is in the New Testament. And we can see that from God to Christ to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. So some of you might be thinking, yeah, Jonathan, we know that. We know that the New Testament is where we need to be. Our next thing that we're going to look at, we're going to talk about how to um, not establish the authority because we've done that. We've established that the New Testament is the authority. We've linked it back to God. But there are some methods that we can read the New Testament with that can help us better discern. There's 190,000 a little less than words in the New Testament. And you can see based on denominations today that not everyone agrees on what those words say, even though they would say the New Testament is their authority. So how can we reason through what the apostles have left for us through the Holy Spirit via Christ? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the position that anyone reading or hearing the Word of God can rightly divide. I think that there are ways that we can do it. We're going to go over uh, three common ones uh, today. The command, the, uh, the proved example, necessary inference. Those are, those are words that we have put onto this. This is regular human reasoning, regular human logic. This is not something that you have to go to uh, what, what they call seminary for. You don't have to go to theological Bible school to know how to divide the Word of God. Think about the people for the past 2,000 years that have divided the Word of God and done it correctly. They were fishermen. They were shipwrights. They were prisoners. They were military. They were all kinds of different walks of life. Some of them learned. Some of them unlearned. Remember whenever uh, the apostles were, were giving these words of life, people looked at them and said, you don't look like you should be saying these things. You're fishermen. This is not something that is a special kind of Bible reasoning. This is everyday logic. And so we're going to use the same methods that we, that we use in any other field. And I'm going to, I'm going to hone in on uh, parent-child relationship. All of us can relate to that. Parent-child relation, re relationship. How do you know, or how did you know, what your parents wanted you to do? Well, uh, they commanded things, right? I'm going to use me driving. I thought about my truck, so I thought about me driving. So, commands. There are commands in the New Testament that we must follow. The parent-child relationship, we know the parent has the authority. How do we know what's right, though? Oftentimes, they will state what is right. So, in me growing up, we lived, our neighborhood was off of a uh, four-lane divided highway. And when I first started driving, my dad said, you are not to cross directly over the highway. He wanted me to either get on the highway and go on the off-ramp and go over a bridge. He did not want me to cross. So that is a direct command. How do I know what is right in my household that I was under, under my parents? Well, they state that. They tell you things. It's the same way in the scriptures, and we'll look at that in a little bit. So commands, we, we understand. Direct statements, you will do this, you will not do this. Very simple reasoning. Very simple logic. It's the same in the Bible. Approved example. And I, I include the word approved for a reason. We'll get to this in a minute. But examples. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with examples. 
Um, when I was taught how to drive, I drive a, a manual, so whenever I was watching my dad, he would come up to a red light. Sometimes he would hold his foot down on the clutch and keep it in view. Well, sometimes he'd put it in neutral. It was never stated, you will do this, you will not do this. But by his example, I know that that's okay for me to do. It's okay for me to keep, my, keep the clutch in, or it's okay for me to put it in neutral. It didn't matter. It was of no consequence. That's part of the example. Now, approved example. The reason I state approved is because we've looked at commands already. My command was don't cross the highway. My dad crossed the highway. He had that authority to do that. But we have to go to approved examples. So look at our statements first. My command was to not cross the highway. My dad crossed the highway. That's an example. Can I not cross the highway? No, because I've been given a command to not. And, and you, can, you can think, well, that makes sense, but how does that go to the Bible? Think about when Peter was rebuked by Paul. We've looked at how Peter is an apostle. Peter's been given that authority. But Peter was being hypocritical with who he ate with. He would not eat with Gentiles when Jews were present. Okay, well, if we just go with examples, are we to show discernment from one group of people to another group of people? Peter's our example. Absolutely not, because we read that Paul rebukes him. Paul says that's not okay, and Peter, in previous chapters in the book of Acts, had been told by God what God has cleansed. Don't call unclean. Peter there is doing something wrong, and that's why we use that term approved example. An example that does not contradict any of the other commands that we've been given. And, the, and our final one, so we've done command, just statements. We've looked at, um, and, and these are the, if we think the Old Testament, thou shalt not, you shall do this, those are our commands, those are our statements. The example, we've looked at that, approved examples. And our final one is inference. Inference is when there's not something stated, there's not an example per se, but there is something that we can infer, and this is when we use our, our, our reasoning and our logic. So by my dad, in his statement, saying, you shall not cross the highway, you shall not drive across the highway, does he have to state that it's okay for me to drive? No. Because in his command, he said, you shall not drive across the highway, I can infer, infer and reason that he's okay with me driving as long as it fits within the parameters that he's stated. These are easy things to see that we, that we recognize in our parent-child relationships. It's not any different than the scriptures. It's the exact same reasoning. It's the exact same logic. We're going to look at Acts 15, because I think Acts 15 showcases all of these. showcases commands, it showcases example, and it showcases inference. Acts 15, the, the context here is that the church in Antioch is, is really being divided on uh, the aspect of circumcision and how it relates to Christianity. They were, there were some there, and this had kind of come from Jerusalem, that some there were trying to make Christians have to become Jews first. They stated that you had to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised, and then you could be a Christian. And so the church at Antioch is divided over this, and since it came from Jerusalem, they called together the apostles, who were the authority at the time. They called together the elders at the church in Jerusalem. 
and said, what do we do about this? How can we determine what is right? That's our question. How do we know what's right? Is it right? Acts 15, the church in Antioch has, has issues regarding circumcision. Paul and Barnabas were teaching, though, that you don't have to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. Look in verse 7. Verse 7 through 10, I think, is the example of Cornelius. It's not explicitly stated, but Cornelius and his uh, conversion as a Gentile family it happened a couple of chapters earlier. So Acts 15 and verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter of circumcision. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know what a good while ago God chose among us, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, those who had believed and been baptized, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. This is that approved example. So if you need an example of an approved example here in scriptures, Acts 15 they were wondering, could a Gentile be saved without being circumcised? Well, they went to the authority. Peter said, well, we baptized Gentiles. They were not circumcised. We're not given that indication at all. They were not circumcised. And God gave them the Holy Spirit. God actually approved of that conversion through the Holy Spirit. So there's our example of an example. There's our, our, our example of an approved example. This one is approved by God. Keep on reading in verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, for some reason I think it said Peter and Paul. Paul, Paul and Barnabas are declaring... God's work. They had just baptized a Gentile without them being circumcised. And note what they were still able to do. Miracles, signs, wonders. Well, we can infer from that that God is still okay with what they're preaching. God is still okay with that because if they were sinful, if they were preaching error, God would not stand and God would not be with them. What, what was the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles? To prove what was true. So we can infer from this, the multitude kept silent and listened to Paul and Barnabas, and they declared, that's why I keep thinking I've read it wrong, because I keep reading Paul and Barnabas, it's Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. There's our example of a necessary inference. They had to infer that that was okay for them. This was to verify that they were God's spokesmen. And going on, James actually answers and says in verse 13, let's read. And after they had become silent, they being Barnabas and Paul, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up 
so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all of these things. They're appealing to Scripture there. That's the command. Maybe not a command, but a statement. The statement is made that Gentiles will eventually be saved. So if we're looking for a biblical way to reason through the Scriptures and determine what is right, Acts 15 is an excellent example. It shows us that the command is given, or statement is given, that Gentiles being saved without circumcision is okay. It shows us an example. Cornelius was saved without being a Jew first. And then you have to make an inference based on Paul and Barnabas that God approved of what they were doing, what they were preaching. And, and once again, I want to reiterate, this is not a special way. This is not a... Uh, a, a special higher way of thinking. This is regular logic, regular reasoning that all of mankind has been able to do. We can think of all of the people that have done this. The final thing we're going to look at, we, we recognize where the authority comes from. We, we see how our link attaches to that chain. Our link is attached right there at the bottom. We chain ourselves to the New Testament. The New Testament chains itself to the writers, the apostles, via the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit connects to Jesus, Jesus connects to God. God is the author of that chain, and that's how we connect to it. We can get into how specific is the instruction. How specific is the instruction? So we've read the example, we've read the statements, we've made the inference. Let's draw the conclusion now. When we read statements, they can be inclusive statements or exclusive statements. Inclusively says you can do this. Exclusively says you cannot do this. Or there can be statements where um, if we look at baptism, if we look at baptism, baptism as the Greek word, they would have understood it as immersion. Baptizo means to immerse fully in water. That excludes turning a water hose over their head. That excludes sprinkling water at them. That includes um, immersion that includes full, for lack of a better phrase, dunking in water. So we have to realize how specific is the instruction. And we ask ourselves a lot of questions. First, we ask ourselves the who, what, when, where, why. Well, who was baptized? What were they baptized for? When were they baptized? Why were they baptized? Where were they baptized? Then we have to ask ourselves is this something that's required? And if every instance that we read of it, this thing happens in the New Testament, that's our authority, everything happens in the New Testament that way, safe to say it's required. Is it allowed? Some things are allowed without being stated. Is it excluded? And, and we're going to look at this point about the inclusive, exclusive, the who, what, when, where, why, with Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The end of Jesus's. Uh, ministry on the earth has come. He has been crucified and he has been resurrected and he gives a command to his apostles. He gives a command to the eleven. This is Matthew chapter 28 and we're going to read what we might commonly call uh, the Great Commission is what we might know it as. We're going to read this starting in verse, uh, we'll start beginning in verse 16. And the scriptures read, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, 
to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, even after he's been crucified, even after he's been resurrected, even after they've seen him before, some still doubted. That's a point to the side. In verse 18, Jesus states, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That goes back up to our top point. If we want to know the answers of eternal life, if we want to know what is right, how do we know what is right? We go to Jesus. Jesus has given some of that to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit through the apostles has told us what to do in the New Testament. But Jesus states, All authority rests with him. And we're going to dissect verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. First word, go. <clears throat> it was a very broad word. I can make it more narrow and say go to the store. Well, even then, what store do you go to? You go to Dollar General. You go to Walmart. Go to Ace's Hardware. There's lots of stores you can go to. But the phrase here is go. Go is broad. It doesn't answer the how. It doesn't answer the when. It doesn't answer the where. It doesn't even answer right now the go to whom. It clarifies it later on. It doesn't say when. I would think right now with something this important, you'd go right now. Though. I would think that you would go as fast as you could. And that can be an inference. That can be an inference. Doesn't say go to where. Some went to, to Jerusalem. Some went to the countryside. Some went to Gaza. Some went to Rome. Some went to Spain. Some go to Jessup. Some go to Hinesville. Some go to Seattle, Chicago. The where is not stated here. Go is broad. But then look at the next phrase. Go make disciples. That's very narrow. Go broad. Make disciples very specific, very narrow. There's only one thing that that can mean. Jesus is talking. They are apostles, disciples of him. He says, go and make disciples. He's saying, make disciples of him. He's not saying, make disciples of Peter. He's not saying, make disciples of um, John, James, Simon. He's not saying, make disciples of them. He's saying, make disciples of me. Very specific, very narrow. Go broad, make disciples very narrow, and even the uh, to whom is answered there, make disciples of all nations. Next command, baptize them. Baptize them that you have made disciples. Don't just go around dunking people in water. There's kind of an order of the things there. Baptize them that are seeking Christ. Baptism is very narrow in scope. We've just talked about that for a little bit, but it doesn't answer how right here. It doesn't answer where. We read a lot of places that people were baptized. As we talked about this morning, um, uh, our buildings. If we had to make inference on what our buildings should be or what our buildings should not be, well, we have an example to meet in a two-story house. And we meet on the top floor. We have examples to meet in the temple in Jerusalem. We have examples to meet all of these places. But because they're different, we cannot hold ourselves to any one of them. Baptism as the how is stated. The immersion in water, forgiveness of sins, baptism for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is stated. But the where? Lake, ocean, pond, pool, a barrel I've seen before. 
horse trough, doesn't matter. As long as they can meet the requirements of being immersed. Next, teaching them to observe all things that I command you. That's narrow. That's exclusive. You cannot teach them how to play trombone. It doesn't matter. You can't teach them how to do other things besides what is necessary to be a child of God. What is necessary for baptism. Necessary for salvation. You can't add man's thoughts into that. You're teaching what Jesus has taught. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. What are we to teach? Well, let's answer. All things that are commanded. When do we teach that? 9 a.m., 12 a.m., doesn't matter. Who do we teach that to? We go back a little bit further, all nations. The method, the location, the where, the how. Does it have to be teaching them by example? Does it have to be teaching by discussion? Does it have to be teaching by Facebook post, by Instagram post, by phone call, by newspaper, by billboard? It says teaching. Based on other principles, we can see how that one-on-one -on -one teaching does us a lot of good. So this, this paragraph, this short couple sentences of Jesus, contains both specific words, generic words, inclusive words, and exclusive words. And, and those are just common phrases of, of reason and logic to say that there's a lot of things to break down in these couple of sentences. But this is the reason why we study the scriptures. This is the reason. Because if we can get that nuanced on a couple sentences, well, I've got news for you. There's a couple more sentences after that. This is the way that we divide the scriptures. This is the way that we audit each other. We think reasonably. Is this a command? Okay. Well, I have to do that or I, I can't do that. Is this an example? Is this example contradicted anywhere? Is this an example that is an allowance, or is this an example that is a, uh, a, a command of sorts? Is, what do I infer from this? How do I make application to my life from this example? This is the, one of the reasons that we have brethren to talk to. Because I have not studied the scriptures verse to verse to verse. I studied some sections of it verse to verse to verse. But there are other ones that we have in the church that have studied those that I am lacking. And that's the, that is the brilliant part of a church that meets in a local area. That we can come together, that we can study the scriptures, that we can audit each other, that we can rightly divide. But do not forget. That's why I'm always appreciative of prayer that states uh, that we can check whoever's preaching. Because it's not my word. It's not... It's not Mark's word. It's not Reggie's word. It's not anyone else's word. It's Christ's word. It's the word of God. Let's think back all the way to our, or the beginning of our lesson. Who do we go to for our authority? We recognize authority in life. Who do we go to for our authority in spiritual matters? It has to be Christ. It has to be the New Testament. Turn me to John chapter 12. We're coming to a close John chapter 12. In verse 44, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him 
who sent me. Once again, that chain of authority. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus recognized where his authority came from. And Jesus states that if you are searching for eternal life, you come to me. But Jesus is not speaking just for Jesus' sake. Jesus is speaking on behalf of God the Father, the inventor of eternity, the inventor of salvation. And if we follow his commands, we follow his commands for everlasting life. Final verse we're going to look at this morning is Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend to you the word of his grace. That's the New Testament. I commend you to God recognizing that they were in accordance with the words and the will of God. This word that we find in this New Testament, being an authority from God, is able to build them up and give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This morning we've looked at where our authority comes from. We've looked at Christ having all authority in all things. We've looked at Christ's giving his word, his seal of approval via the Holy Spirit to the New Testament writers, those apostles. And so we know that the New Testament is our authority today. We're not going to be called in the middle of the night and have some kind of miraculous talk with Jesus. The New Testament is our sole authority. We looked a little bit about how we can actually divide those scriptures. How we can see, well, what is a statement? What is a command? What is an inference? What is an example? We saw how these things are not... Bible school, you don't have to go to college to do any of these things. We looked at very basic ways in the parent-child relationship that you can see this. One of the greatest things that we can, we can teach to others is how to learn, how to read the scriptures. If we can teach to others how to read the scriptures, think about the souls that we can save. We're no longer having to tell them all the time, what is right, what is right. We should be able to discern for ourselves what is right. So part of discerning for yourselves what is right is realizing that baptism is a necessity of salvation. We looked at that a little bit um, in, in previous classes. Really going back to Hebrews, as, as Reagan pointed out this morning. We've looked at the patterns set in the New Testament for baptism. Those that were saved were baptized. We offer baptism this morning for, for any of those that might feel necessary. In order to be baptized, you must confess. You must believe in God. You must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have heard the word. You have repented of your sins. 
And the next step is be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't go on, and it doesn't stop there. Then you go on and live a life discerning the scriptures. So hopefully this lesson has been commendable to you. Hopefully this lesson has been one that you can um, implement in your studies and as you study with others as well. If there's anything we can do for uh, uh, anyone this morning, I bid you come forward while we stand and while we sing for your encouragement.